1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
0: You're listening to
2: the FT Money Show from Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello, and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's program, will it be Viva Espana for shareholders and customers in Alliance and Leicester as the bank accepts a takeover bid from Santander? The land of the rising sun and falling prices has finally emerged from a period of deflation, so is it time to invest in Japan? City worker with a short career? Join the club. Why a new wealth club is targeting younger professionals. And we have some good news and bad news on rising inflation. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge hello, and Charlene Goff, Hello. So let's start then with the money news. Earlier this week, the Spanish bank Santander agreed a £1.26 billion deal to buy Alliance and Leicester. The takeover bid has been priced at 299 pence a share plus a dividend which takes the total value up to 317 pence but has pushed Alliance and Leicester shares up by about 45% to over 320 pence as the market anticipated the possibility of a higher competing bid. But customers now face the prospect of being merged into Santander's existing UK bank, Abbey. So who will be the winners and losers if the deal goes through? Um, Steve, uh, you and I are both old enough to remember the slogan, you get a smarter investor with Alliance and Leicester. But the question, I suppose, is, is it a smart deal for shareholders?
3: Well, Matthew, I know Hugh Laurie, who, of course, uh, starred in those ads. Um, But for Alliance and Leicester investors, this is effectively a rescue. And the good news about this rescue is they get Santander stock, so they hopefully will participate in the recovery of the banking sector, the long-hoped-for recovery in the banking sector. And Santander, remember, is one of the world's biggest banks. This is a mere tapas snack for uh, these conquistadors from Madrid. Santander is a has very heavy exposure to Latin America, so it's an emerging markets play. Lance and Lester was desperately focused in the UK, which is what, why many commentators say it's been so weak. You uh, know. And I
2: suppose more importantly, Santander um, is exposed to emerging markets, but not so exposed to all of the sort of you know the subprime credit crisis, toxic debt instruments that other banks have been.
3: Absolutely, it's been relatively immune to those those ob- obscure exotic financial instruments. On the other hand, of course, it's. Uh, a very big player in Spain, which, of course, has got its own property market problems and indeed economic problems. But it is more diversified. It is much more diversified. So from a an, uh, a Santander perspective, and don't forget um, Santander owns Abbey, as you rightly said, so Abbey shareholders, ex-Abbey shareholders, they're effectively picking up Alliance and Leicester for a song. So, of course, if you're one of those awful carpet-baggering, windfall-seeking types like myself... The degree to which Santander buys Alliance and Leicester on the cheap, hopefully will be reflected in better performance in my Santander stock.
2: So it's great for you as as an Abbey shareholder and presumably as an Alliance and Leicester shareholder, you're thinking, thank goodness the rescue has come... I will accept the bid three hundred and seventeen pence. Thank you very much.
3: Indeed, and I think the the key point is this is about the only deal on the table. As the week carried on, that those rooms have gone away. But who knows? The deal though due to complete in the autumn. But if you can get you know three hundred and
2: twenty pence, three hundred and twenty three pence, I think it was a little bit earlier this week. Would you sell in the market just in case the deal runs into difficulty?
3: Well, that's a possibility. If you don't, if if you're very bearish on banks, this is probably your best short-term opportunity to get some money out of a bank that otherwise could be in really dire straits if the Santander deal doesn't go through, and, and then you would be talking a rescue, and possibly a rescue being forcibly bought out for cash. Charlene, what about customers, though? If you're an
2: Alliance and Leicester customer, you're going to find yourself effectively sort of you know, merged in with Abbey customers. Could you possibly lose out...
4: Yeah, I think you could, and that is a danger, particularly for Alliance and Leicester's customers. It's quite early still to predict what might happen. There's uh, Santander have made no commitments about what they might do, but the general feeling is that they might collapse the A&L brand into Abbey. So many of their deals in mortgages and savings particularly could disappear. One loss for borrowers could be that Alliance and Leicester actually offered some very nice, flexible mortgage terms, which Abbey hasn't done so much.
2: And are there any instances in terms of savings and current accounts where Alliance and Leicester's offering was better?
4: Alliance and Leicester have been very strong in the current account market and had an extremely competitive account for the last few years, their premier direct account. So that kind of account could disappear, or on the other hand, Santander could take that kind of model and use it as its flagship account, in which case some better terms could come through for Abbey customers.
2: So no need for anyone with an Alliance Leicester Mortgage or or accounts to start worrying yet. But I suppose overall, this is going to reduce the number of products out there in the UK marketplace, which can't be good for consumers?
4: No, especially at this time. And in, in it, that could be a real problem if the already tight supply of mortgage finance that we're seeing at the moment hasn't improved by the time the takeover actually goes through.
2: And Steve, I mean, just looking at the banking sector as a whole, I mean, th- this has been the one bit of good news in a week where bank stocks have been sold off you know, very, very heavily. Looking at the rights issues from Bingley, HBOS, What does that mean for
3: people who are participating in these issues? Well, in the case of HBOS, you're absolutely right. A lot of people will have signed up for the rights, buying the new shares at 275p, and yet the shares in the marketplace were trading way below 250 for much of the week. So they're forced to buy the new shares at a higher-than-market price. On Thursday, um, Bradford and Bingley finally got its right issue away on the third attempt at 55p. Um, But again, that's still underwater, i.e. you're being asked to buy new shares at 55p. The shares in the market are trading less, so who's going to pay more? Well, you do get some rights out of this, of course, and they may have some value.
2: You could sell those. Yeah. So what will you be doing with your rights, just selling them as
3: fast as you can? Well, I think I might not gain enough to sell them. That's the problem. Oh, here. It could be too small yes. a value to actually trade. Yes, I'm b- exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, if you'd like to know more about the bid for Alliance and Leicester and how the deal could affect your mortgages or bank accounts and indeed more about shares in the banking sector as a whole, look out for the articles in FT Money in the Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer and your comments on anything in our podcast by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, a financial advice club for high earners. But is it worth the membership fees? And we have some more bad news, but also some good news, on inflation-proofing your savings. But first, investing in Japan. After 10 years of deflation, the Japanese economy finally seems to be moving into positive territory, with some optimistic fund managers suggesting the return of moderate inflation is a good sign. But will it stay moderate for long, as imported inflation, in the form of food and energy price rises, hits the economy? Ellen Kelleher of FT Money got some answers from Stefan Bain, director of Japanese equities at F&C Investments, and she began by asking him if a
0: post-deflation economy is now more favourable for investors. I think the present situation for the Japanese market is that it looks relatively attractive on a global basis. Obviously, Japan has escaped, to some degree, much of the stress that the global financial sector has experienced. Um, and I also think that that the consumer in Japan uh, also has uh, escaped many of the excesses uh, witnessed perhaps in the European and and U.S. market. But uh, we we do feel that it's quite difficult uh, for Japan to perform on its own steam. However, we will come out of this and there will be light at the end of the tunnel. And given the valuations that we're seeing in Japan now, I think there's a significant opportunity for Japan to perform.
4: Stephen, can you just offer some more detail about what's happened to the Japanese economy in the last decade in terms of the period of deflation that it's experienced and the collapse of the banking sector? I,
0: th- I think we, we all know about the, the lost decade and, and primarily that was a, a real estate-led boom and, and bust. So in many circumstances, I guess, I guess it may look quite similar to what we're seeing in the States. However, the, the, the response process was prolonged. Uh, so really, I think that the lost decade is, is definitely behind us in, in Japan.
4: Do you think that Japanese financial stocks offer better value now than uh, Western financials?
0: I think they are much cleaner. Um, however, I, I, I must point out that the domestic growth story for, for financial stocks, particularly banks, is not particularly attractive at present. Many of the growth drivers of, of earnings for banks are are, are very weak at at the moment. Lending growth is not that strong. We're also seeing a a problem with um, small and medium-sized companies getting into financial difficulties. So it's very hard to be fundamentally excited about Japanese banks. However, when compared to the stresses faced by uh, global financials, they look relatively attractive.
4: So where are you investing now? Do you have any new ideas?
0: At present, we have a, a mix of Defensive stocks where we think there is still valuation appeal. Healthcare is one area where where we've got a reasonable weighting, and we've been investing not in in traditional pharmaceutical companies but in smaller companies, mainly medical equipment uh, related companies uh, where we think domestic growth is is reasonable but they're also expanding overseas and they have highly competitive products. Another area of of defensiveness would be our positions in railway companies. Again, demand is, is very stable they're benefiting from the higher oil price because airlines are struggling to compete. And again, valuations are reasonably attractive. But on the other side, we we have positions in more cyclical plays, but those tend to be more stock-specific calls. A a tech company that we have a high weighting in uh, would be called Nidec. That company is the leading manufacturer of motors that go into hard disk drives. Um, And what Nidec has done in the past has been very successful buying in small companies that have no profits, using their own business model and turning profits around significantly. We've also recently bought a company uh, called Bridgestone, um, which is a a leading global tyre producer. We do realise that uh, that they will struggle with earnings this year, but we think that they still have a leading market position. Over the medium term, we think they have a good franchise uh, and and eventually uh, margins will begin to improve. The company has fallen to below book value, Um, still profitable, and we think that that's something that's very attractive if we want to take a longer-term view.
4: Stefan, could you just offer some final thoughts on where you think the Japanese market will be in the next few years?
0: What's changed over the last few years is that Japanese companies are much more aware of the need to produce suitable returns to shareholders. So many companies are now talking about ROE, which they didn't before. And it's not just talk. They are actually putting programs in place in order to improve profitability. The need to actually give suitable returns to shareholders is also being addressed. Dividends are being increased. So overall, the proposition for Japan as a shareholder-friendly country is getting better. However, it's a slow process, and it does take time. And I think sometimes investors maybe get disappointed by the pace of change, but change is happening. And given that focus on profitability, given that we have many uh, leading world-class companies in Japan, many of those companies are now trading close to book value, and in many cases they have, they have lots of cash in the balance sheet, I think that there's a significant investment appeal in Japan if you're prepared to take a slightly longer-term view. That was Stephen
2: Bain of F&C Investments, and for Ellen's analysis of the investment opportunities in Japan, you can read her article in this weekend's FT Money. Coming up, we have more bad news and some good news on inflation. Before that, though, financial advice for high earners a new City Wealth Club has been set up by advice firm The Root Group, where a membership fee buys access to syndicated investment opportunities and specific planning for life goals if you're a high earner with a relatively short career. But is this a club worth joining or just a new way to charge for financial advice? Elaine Moore found out more about the club rules by speaking
1: to Root Group Managing Director Mark Worrell. The Root City Wealth Club is a club that was established um, by clients' or members' wishes um, over the period since 2004 um, when we first introduced membership. So the clients since then, as we've signed them up, over which we have now over 400 members, is um, for them to tell us what it is that they want in terms of their wealth management services in order that they can turn income into capital.
4: And what is it that this group of people are telling you that they want?
1: They want um, something that tells them about what is available and how it's available in short order so that they can understand what it is that the government or what it is that the investment services are available to them that they wouldn't have time to research themselves. They're looking for us to carry out the due diligence on a range of investments, not just the traditional investments that you typically receive But also in addition to that, actually what interesting ideas would a group like these people who are actually earning on average three quarters of a million pounds per year. So they're working in a high risk environment and therefore have an appetite to turn income into capital early. Things like looking at either music or film investments where you're looking at things like bridge finance that can give you between five and six percent returns per month. What we specialise in is to try and put a group of individuals across a range of investments in order to mitigate your risk, Um, but in addition to that is also ensure that we have the right due diligence.
4: How would you describe a typical member of the club?
1: They would typically be fairly young in comparison with more traditional wealth managers. Um, typically, wealth managers tend to look after people who have already got capital. So, you would look at people who have an income, say, or a capital base of over 10 million upwards. Our client base tends to be high earning, so they tend to be younger, so they'd be somewhere between the age of 30 and 45 that doesn 't mean that they 're any less rich, but what it does mean is that they are still earning and are looking at a sporting type career so they 're probably making you know they 're looking at a twenty year career and trying to optimize that
4: A membership for the club costs two thousand pounds four hundred each year. What do the members get for their money
1: The two thousand four hundred pounds is as you say it 's a membership fee, and that membership fee is built especially for us to be able to sit down and build. A, um, a profile of those clients in terms of where they want to get to and in what time scale. That allows us to establish exactly what their risk profile would be, because the client is then allowed to look at their own benchmark as they come back through t- over time, when they come back for their reviews, and allows us to be able to see how they're performing against their particular the goals that they had in mind at the beginning.
2: That was Mark Worrell of the Root City Wealth Club. Um, now... Steve, uh, we're not high earners, but our careers, you know, could be quite short, I suppose.
3: Um, but would you countenance paying two thousand four hundred pounds a year for financial planning? Well, I was hoping Matthew to talk to you about that. Not being a high earner, point you being my boss. Yeah, all perhaps that. later. But uh, two thousand four hundred quid to see a financial advisor... I'd want to be paid £2,400 to endure the sales attentions of these people. I think more seriously, though, I mean, who would pay to join these clubs for what is presumably an unproven service? I think they're offering access to various obscure That's right.
2: It's it's access to bridging finance schemes for films and other sort of media Mm. companies, access to different types of mortgage. But you you could argue that if if you've got a good private bank. Indeed. They would do that anyway.
3: Indeed. And the the whole financial services industry is built around paying huge amounts of money to find customers. So why on earth customers would really want to join this scheme? I I, defeats me. And I don't have £2,400 anyway. Uh,
2: So it sounds like you won't be joining then. But if you would like to learn more about uh, all of the benefits of uh, Wealth Club membership, you can read Elaine's article in FT Money with The Weekend FT. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on inflation. Steve, we all know what the bad news has been this week.
3: The bad news, inflation up again. Indeed. 4.6% the the real inflation measure that everyone considers, RPI. Of course, it was still higher, and not a lot of people know this, back in spring 2007. RPI has been above 4% for near on two years now.
2: I suppose because the CPI figure is the one that's always quoted, people don't realise exactly how high inflation is, and, and more importantly, how much your money has got to work to stay ahead
3: of inflation to give you a real return. Well, exactly. A savings rate of 7% for a high-rate taxpayer is worth four point. 2% after tax. Below RPI, so you're, you're losing Below RPI, yeah. the spending power of that, of that yes, money. Yes, so, so in a tax saving account it's virtually impossible to find a real return as a high-rate taxpayer. You say virtually impossible, which suggests to me that you may have some good news. Well, there are some exceptions in the tax arena, but in the ISA arena, of course, you're getting tax-free returns. And this week saw the launch of another quirky, inflation-linked, RPI-linked ISA from National Counties Building Society. This one gives you RPI at plus 2.6% a year over three years. You're locked in for three years. Now, they say, essentially, if inflation were to stay at... If RPI were to stay at 4.6% constantly over the three-year investment period, you would end up from that deal with 7% a year, which, of course, would be a good return. And even if inflation were to fall... You could be confident that your money would be earning enough to keep ahead of it exactly i mean that 's the guarantee it 's a, it's a, it's a guarantee of a um, of a, an above inflation return, no matter what some ices even though they 're tax free are still uh, are paying below the RPI rates. so if you want some certainty
2: certainly worth having a look at, and I think steve you've made it your deal of the week this mm-hmm. week in FT money. Well, that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money Show. Do remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. Until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve and Charlene. Goodbye.
1: The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.